when my dad passed away, it was kind of hard for me because, you know, when he passed, we hadn't spoken in over 10 years. Um, and, you know, even at that point, like, I wasn't ready to let him back into my life. And, you know, I spent the day before the funeral just like, I couldn't eat because I was so scared that people were going to get on me, <laughs> um, you know, because I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years and now I'm at his funeral and, you know, like, you know, how dare. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to today's episode today. I've already kind of started the little conversation here with Farron. Yay, Farron. And tell me again, because I'll schlussel. Am I saying it right this yes, time? Yes, you got it right. Yay. Well Yay. done. Yay. So we were already talking, and I'm like, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Let me just do the formal introduction, and let's start recording. <laughs> and that way I get to know you as you're recording. So Farron and I had have never met. We've only chatted through email mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she is the assistant director of marketing for Avery Books and Tarcher Perigee, yes. which I needed, I, did I pronounce that one you right? You did. Yay. So, <laughs> so, um, so she and I have been in communications just because she had asked me uh, regarding a book that we were promoting for one of the uh, people in the, in that you guys, one of the books you released. So that's how mm -hmm. our conversation started. And she happens to have a grief journey story as well. So that's what we will be talking about. But first we're going to get to know each other as you guys will get to know her too. So welcome again, Farron. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is actually my first podcast ever. So I'm kind of excited, kind of nervous. <laughs> All good. This but is I trust great you. <laughs> oh yeah, well it's a good it's a good one to be in because honestly I'm like so laid back like so so it doesn't it's like there's no wrong or right in this podcast so there's uh we just chat so people are just eavesdropping in our conversation that's mm -hmm. the reality here so so tell us again then where do you live right now? Um, so I live on Long Island in the suburbs of New York, um, and I've lived here, I mean, not in my current place, but on Long Island my entire life. Um, and my parents met in Brooklyn. And oh, no, my dog is asking to go out. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. okay. Go. Oh, go. go That's no problem. All right. So I was just telling uh, Farron, my dog is also in the room here. And so we were both like, oh, we're going to end up having to have uh, – you know, like uh, if our dogs need to get out or things like that. So it's yeah. life. So we're just kind of. Uh, <laughs> She's totally going to ask me to come back in. <laughs> come back in. I, I leave my door ajar in case, although today it kind of seems a little closed in case she asks me to uh, walk out. So no problem. Yeah. Uh, just so you know, the, the mic again is rattling a little oh, bit. No. Okay, the... I'll hold it. <laughs> it's okay. okay. So then, so your parents met in Brooklyn? Yes. Uh, my mother was born and raised there. And my father, who my grief story is about, um, emigrated from Israel when he was 10. Um, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. They moved there after the war and then they moved here and landed in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. So yeah. that is the journey. Now, are you one, are the only Are you the only child? More no, than I have How two sisters. So we're three girls. <laughs> three girls. Okay. Yeah. And, and then, I'm so, the eldest sibling. And you what? You're the, the eldest? eldest? Yeah. Oh, okay. Me too. I'm the eldest. Yay. I'm the eldest of three sisters and one brother. So I'm the huh. eldest of four. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the eldest of four, but yeah, we, we were three, three sisters. Yeah. So, um, and I say work because one of my sisters passed away, but the, so yes. tell me then you, you, we were just starting to talk about like what you studied, but yes. so now you are what you do now. So it's curious, curious. Let's take that journey. So yes. you study. Oh, she's back. Hang on. The door she's might back. slam. Go, go, go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Um, like, 
so I went to college for theater and for history. I double majored at Queens College. Um, and I had intended on becoming a stage actor. I love theater. Um, I've always loved musicals. Um, so that was my original goal. Um, and when I was getting close to graduating, I had a Carol Burnett plan. Carol Burnett's very famous plan was like, she's going to give herself five years to make it. Um, and then if it doesn't happen, she'll rethink things. So that's sort of what I did. Um, you know, I, I was like, I never knew that story. I never yeah, knew that. <laughs> yeah, she, and she did make it for sure. She made it. <laughs> and I think she was like, it was like almost the end of her time and she made it. Um, mm-hmm. But I, so I started auditioning for um, theater roles in the city, um, probably in my senior year of college. Um, and you know, it was really challenging. I wanted to join the actors union. So I was trying to like audition for shows that were associated with the actors union. Um, and the, the auditions were always, you know, very full, very competitive, which you're prepared for, you know, if you're a theater student or an acting student. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I, you know, continued to go through it and, you know, more and more people were graduating, it was becoming harder and harder to get into an audition room because people were getting to the audition, you know, fellow, the, the actors union is actors equity. And so like all the non actors equity, you know, auditionees like me were getting to auditions at like two, three in the morning to like, you know, start a sort of unofficial list to like get seen in the room. Um, and only auditions technically that they wanted to audition equity actors, but sometimes yes. not equity actors would try to get yes. a shot at doing it. Okay. Yes, exactly. And like, depending on how many people were, you know, supposed to be seen that day, um, you might get into the room. Oh, <laughs> sorry. What's your dog's now, name? Now, Penny. She's jumping. Penny. She wants to sit in my lap. <laughs> so hang on. It's going to bonk again while I pull her in here. Us. <laughs> yeah, she 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 wants to be with me and she doesn't. <laughs> she's yeah, no, she she's very sweet. She's a little um cavalier King Charles Spaniel oh, Chihuahua beautiful. mix. She's very cuddly. Cute. She's very cute. Um but yeah, so I was I was doing this for about five years and um you know I I'd gotten seen for a lot, I'd gotten a bunch of callbacks. Um I hadn't successfully ever booked anything I was working um doing theater merchandise at night because it was good for my audition schedule but you know I got to a point where I was just like my friends were you know getting steady jobs and you know I was hardly ever seeing them um my work was not so steady I had no insurance (laughs) um and, you know, I just, I got to a point where I was just, I, I couldn't afford voice lessons. I couldn't afford acting classes. Um, so I got to a point where I was just like, you know what? Like I'm, I only get to sing or act for like the 30 seconds I'm in an audition room and, you know, I hustle and hustle and I don't see the people I love and, you know, I was just like, I, this is the end of it for me. I've kind of had enough. So I reevaluated what I wanted to do with my life, which is a really scary thing to do. When how many many years down your, this was, it was, um, it was like at at the five year mark, honestly, Carol Burnett is smart. (laughs) Um, just made that that choice it's I think it depends on the type of career too right yeah as to what it is because like for example as an entrepreneur like when you I used to own a business like five years is when you're not even breaking you don't you yeah. start maybe making money after the five-year mark you know so you yeah. definitely have to stick on stick stick with it longer but yeah. um Peter which I was just telling you right before we started recording that was my major as well is a different it's a different ball game you yes. don't you you could um yeah it's just it's just different <laughs> yeah and I mean it's the other thing is it's it's not even necessarily about how good you are you know it's mm-hmm. you you look right on a certain day in a certain light <laughs> um you know like 
and I, there are so many actors out there who'll be like, no, you go in and like, you know, you make the casting director think that you're the one they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that does happen, but I feel like most of the time it's like, you know, they have a certain, you know, they have something in their head and if you're not it, they're not going to necessarily change their mind so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, either way, I just, I, you know, I prefer, yeah, and like, yeah. I prefer to work at things where I'm going to see some sort of reward. <laughs> yes. um, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to be told that I'm amazing all the time, but I do like to get some sort of recognition for Feedback. the hard work that yeah. I do. <laughs> um, so I reevaluated and I was just like, well, what can I do with the rest of my life um, that isn't going to make me regret every second that I'm not performing basically Mm. um and I have been a lifelong reader you know as much as I was a lifelong musical theater baby um and so that was when I was like oh maybe I can work with books somehow um and that sort of led me down the publishing rabbit hole um and you know like a lot of people I started um, thinking that I wanted to be a book editor, not, you know, completely realizing that being a book editor doesn't just mean you read books all day long. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, um, it's a very, very, um, it's the, the editors that I work with at my job are some of the smartest people I know, honest to God. Um, and is I that admire- in- is that intimidating. Is that intimidating or how, how is it like to work it's- around? people that you're like awesome (laughs) it's yeah I mean they're just stretches you right it stretches you it stretches you and like they come with projects and you're just like oh man like a how did you even think to like acquire this or like find this and like you know I can't wait to work on this this is going to be amazing um and, you know, like the, the book that we worked on together with Rabbi Steve Leader, like that was a situation where like, um, you know, the editor has done quite a few similar books. And like we had, um, you know, in our job, sometimes like the editor meets with the author and their agent, you know, alone, or sometimes they bring in the publicity and marketing team, um, just depending on the situation. And so I was lucky I got to be in this first meeting with rabbi leader and he's amazing. yeah he's amazing. oh my god well so I, you we, got to feel the energy too and yeah and we, and we you, all just you, cried did click, <laughs> yeah did it click for you too also coming from similar also religious backgrounds was that also something that it ended up like connecting to the story even more for you too for sure um, yeah, it, it and like we we that. ended up having like a sort of um he speaks in the book about how like you know um I read the when, whole thing. So you yes. Tell, so like, yeah. you know, when a, when a family um, comes to him and he's like, you know, talking them through like what life was like with their family member. So that way, A, they get closure and B, he can pull material for a eulogy. Yes. Um, and I love that. Yeah. And right? he doesn't just say, yeah, because he doesn't just say like, tell me all the good things. Like, yes. tell me also the things that were not that. Yes. So <laughs> awesome we were too. talking about that in the meeting. And I was like, you know, that part of the proposal really resonated with me because, um, you know, when my dad passed away, it was kind of hard for me because, you know, when he passed, we hadn't spoken in over 10 years. Um, and you know, even at that point, like I wasn't ready to let him back into my life. And, you know, I spent the day before the funeral, just like I couldn't eat because I was so scared that people were going to get on me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because I hadn't spoken to him in 10 years and now I'm at his funeral and, you know, like, you know, how dare. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, there were, there were things that happened, you know, when my parents separated that were just really hard for me to look past. And I knew that for the sake of my mental health, um, you know, I just, I needed to sort of make that break. And we, I spoke about that with Rabbi Leader in the meeting. I was just like, I really appreciate that you're like, you know, when you have these conversations, it's not all like, oh, what was good, you know, um, you know, let's only remember the good things about this person. 
And I think he knew where I was coming from because his father was also difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks about that extensively in the book too. And I was just like, I really, really appreciated that. And then he just sort of started asking me some of the questions that he asks his congregants. And, you know, we started a sort of conversation. Um, and like, oh we couldn't God. get... How long had it been since your dad had died when he's um, asking you these things? Because it was like a little therapy session. I then. know. I want to say it was probably three and a half years at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad will have been gone for five years mm-hmm. on February 16th. So we're um, okay. actually coming up to the anniversary. We're recording that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I... I started asked you the question. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah. So, I mean, it was, um, I don't remember completely. And like, we, we had to stop because obviously there were other people in the room. Um, (laughs) but like, I remember, you know, he left and, um, we signed the book really quickly and we were all so excited because, you know, we, we loved him. We knew that it was going to be really special. Um, and, we sort of all reconnected over email after everything had been made official. And he's like, how are you doing? Our conversation was kind of heavy. <laughs> and I'm just like, <laughs> I really appreciated having it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, that's the thing. Those are conversations that a lot of people are not willing to step into. Yes. So being in spaces in which somebody actually is willing to go there with you um, is necessary and especially yeah. in this dynamic in which and this is where is it okay we pivot at this moment sure. and kind of go into that so especially in the dynamic in which you had to go through like how do people ask you then the component of like how are you doing or i'm sorry for your loss mm-hmm. and those kind of things when it's somebody that has not been in your life for 10 years and so, or, or that you you know so yeah. that you had distance yourself so what were first off where were the circumstances surrounding your dad's death was it sudden was it grad was it an um, illness or was it sudden it was very sudden actually um and it's something that I will never forget for the rest of my life um I was actually dead asleep like I, I you know I'm an early to bed person because I have to get up pretty early at the time I was commuting Um, So I had been asleep for a couple of hours, but I always leave my phone on and plugged in on my desk. It's my alarm in the morning. Um, Mm -hmm. I can usually sleep through text notifications, whatnot. Um, But I was woken up because my phone was actually ringing. I thought it was my alarm, but in fact, it was ringing. I pick it up and it's my youngest sister on the phone and she's in tears. And she just, she said, daddy's dead. And I was Mm -hmm. just like, I, I thought it was a joke for a second. Um... And she was like, I just talked to him this morning and, you know, my aunt called her up and, you know, told her that he had passed. Um, He apparently had had a heart attack. He was living with my grandfather in Florida at the time. Um, And, you know, that's all I know. I know that he, he had a heart attack and they, you know, tried to get him back, but it was too late and it was, he was gone. Um, He had heart problems you know, when I was growing up and he'd had at least one heart attack that I remember from my childhood. Um, but yeah, he was only 63. Um, Mm, none of us had expected it. Um, so he, you know, he passed in Florida. Um, and because we're Jewish, he needs to get buried as quickly as possible. Um, that's the custom. So, Mm my middle sister actually lives in Florida as well. So she saw the body off, um, from the airport. Um, and then they flew it up to New York and we had the funeral the next day. Um, okay, so, you so were it, able to have it in New York. Even yes. Cause I, that's where the burial plot is. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, that's where most of the family still is. Like, um, my aunt lives in New Jersey. Um, some of our far-flung cousins live here um and you know that's where the family grew up so yeah it was it was kind of traumatic almost um just because we found out so quickly and then you know um two seconds later a funeral was happening and it was like I hadn't even processed it yet um and yeah, it it wasn't until like, you know, 
we I watched them lower the coffin into the ground and they started like you know burying it that it hit um how so how was that for you you were so you were in contact with your mom and your sisters that you did have a relationship with they that you had a relationship with them did your sisters have a relationship with your dad they did um yes and that was their choice um Mm -hmm. my middle sister um I think might have stepped away a little but my youngest sister always had a very close relationship with my dad so then you're here you're seeing you know his coffin go down Mm -hmm. like what are the emotions that go through when you have not like oh my gosh like and again like even going with you know rabbi leaders you know book to hang on she's back (laughs) (laughs) she she interrupts the very serious parts of the conversation well, she's our icebreaker, right? Yes, she's she just is. Like, okay, let's just break. This is getting too deep. Let's yes. let, let me let me ask <laughs> mommy like, to open sit the with door. you, mom. Let me sneak yeah, into me... the microphone. <laughs> okay, you were saying. Yeah. So how how do you deal with the emotional mm-hmm. component then of grieving somebody you did not have a relationship in that moment with? Of course, this is your father. Mm-hmm. So regardless of the dynamics of what was happening in that moment there's still things from the past Mm -hmm. memories so forth so tell us a little bit of that duality of grieving yeah uh, yeah an Um, absent so I mean you you sort of hit the nail on the head with it in that like you know it it was my dad and Mm -hmm. he was now gone and I was one parent less on this earth. And I was only, I was barely 32. Like I, I, ha- I wasn't going to turn 32 until May that year. So like I'd lost him pretty young mm-hmm. and I never expected that. Like it was a new year. My vocabulary did not include my dad died, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that loss you know, I felt it acutely, even though I hadn't spoken to him in a very long time. Um, You know, at the same time, you're dealing with the fact that because you were estranged and didn't really have much of a relationship anymore, again, it's, it it was like I was mentioning earlier, like, you know, you're worried that people are going to come at you and be like, you know, who the hell are you? Like, you didn't speak to him for X amount of time. You have no right to this. Like you have no right to any, like even for the, your emotions or no right to even be here, no yes. right for even things that are in the will, this, those kind of things, like those no right type of things. Yes. I, yes. Mm-hmm. All of that. Mm-hmm. And like, you mm-hmm. know, I, the first interaction with my aunt and my grandfather at the funeral was painfully awkward. Um, and, you know, they, they sort of thanked me like a stranger, which is, you know, like, honestly to be expected, but at the same time, it's like, you know, um, regardless of what relationship I had with him, I was still grieving the loss. So Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely. it was, it was challenging. And then, you know, it, it, but it was also something that I worked through because in Judaism, when you lose a parent, you mourn for an entire 11 months. Mm-hmm. Um, practically a year. Um, yeah, that you in, can't do any of the major, like the celeb. Is that correct? Some of the celebrations you can't have. And I really, yes. I, that's actually, and that's something I didn't get to touch upon in the interview with um, Rabbi Leader regarding mm-hmm. the the actual beauty behind that because it allow it gives you yes. permission to say no to yes. things when you don't feel like you know going to a celebration or yes. going it gives you permission because it's part of your mm-hmm. you know ritual of your you know yeah. of not participating in you know events during those 11 months yeah and i like that i think was the most powerful tool in the grieving process for me um was this custom that's built into my religion and you know people will do it to varying degrees but I was pretty strict about it like two of my best friends were getting married about a month after my father passed and I had to call them and tell them I can't come to your wedding anymore and that you know ripped my heart out but at the same time like it means that you can't just be like okay you know it's over he's buried I'm gonna like you know go back to life now as it was and 
you know, that's it. Like the fact that you have to sit with the loss for that amount of time, you really and truly process what's happened to you. Uh oh, she's gonna. Sorry, she's gonna bark because the my downstairs neighbor just slammed the downstairs door, so she has to tell me all about it. Okay, go, 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 go! Yell at them, good girl. <laughs> um, but you know, aren't they amazing by the way. Sorry, aren't they like? How old is she? How is she's how four? Oh, so you've had her less time than your than the. Well, but hasn't I, she been essential in this process for so you? So I too? actually um. So I had a dog before her. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I had him for a very long time. He passed away um, in 2019, and I'd had him for 12 years. Um, oh, so he was with me um, okay. when I found out about my dad, and he basically didn't leave my side until I. So we, after you know, in Judaism, after you've buried your loved one. The family does something called Shiva. They sit for seven days um, and people come and visit and basically take care of you. You know, like they bring you food, um, you know, they talk to you, um, they comfort you. Um, and so we, we sat Shiva in my youngest sister's apartment in Brooklyn. So he couldn't come with me. And that was really, really hard. Like I, I left him at his boarding place and I was just a sobbing (laughs) mess. I was like, you know, I've, I've been, you know, cuddling and using him as my comfort for the last 24 hours. And the fact that I'm not going to see him for the next seven days is really hard. Um, but he was definitely a comfort that entire year. Um, and you know, she, my, my little girl is, um, the best comfort now in this really just horrific kind of time. Like she's different. Sales of, did you, so how long have you had Penny then? Because if um, your dog, your first dog, how, how you said 2019. Yes. And uh, he was 14. He was 14. Did you already have Penny or did you get Penny after? No, I got Penny after. So he did not get along very well with other dogs. He was very much like a, you know, the house had to be a one human kind of house. Um, but he was he, the very best boy and I wouldn't change anything about him. Um, mm-hmm. So he passed away and I, I was honestly ready to adopt again right away. Um mm-hmm. But I was going on a trip and I didn't want to bring a new dog into my home and then have to leave them behind while I go away for a week. (laughs) So I was like, let me just wait until I get back. Um, And I was in touch with the rescue that I'd gotten my previous dog from, you know, to just to let them know that he had passed um, and that I would definitely be interested in, you know, rescuing another dog. And couple of days after I got back um you know I just I called to let them know that I was back and that um you know I was ready to start the process if they had any dogs to meet I'd love to meet them um and so my my childhood dog and my heart dog were both cocker spaniels so I really was hoping to get another cocker spaniel which she, which Penny is part. Penny is a not spaniel. a, she, yes, she, she's oh, a cavalier. She has, yeah, no, so she's part. a cavalier oh, King Penny. Charles Spaniel and a Chihuahua. So yeah. she's sort yeah, of so in the she family. Has part. She has yeah. that King Charles. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly, so like, you know, um, they didn't have very many Cocker Spaniels in the rescue at the time that were ready for adoption. And they're like, but we have this really sweet little mix um would you be open to meeting her and I was like I will meet any dog (laughs) um so we went and we met her and the minute they brought her out like hold on she's asking to come up yet again can you stay here maybe (laughs) you're so silly um mine's like mine's like so asleep right now she's like laying on the bed just I, I think that she keeps coming right up because um, I have my attention on you, and not on yeah. her. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's like, you know, 
Um, that, has it been like amazing? So you see her come out, they bring her out. They bring her and out her. and they, you know, so they put her in my arm. She's very small. She's only 13 pounds. And my previous dog was 30. So that was, a, <laughs> that was a difference. Um, but to like, she, she came into my arms and she started giving me kisses right away. And she was so sweet and just so tiny. And I'm just like, just just put away the foster to adopt papers and give me the adoption papers. Oh, um, and we we brought her home that day. And she has been the most wonderful little bundle. You know, she absolutely helped heal my heart from mm-hmm. that loss, which was you know, earth shatteringly devastating. Um, how, in a way that was your dog's name? is not. Your dog's name. Yeah. How, what was your dog's name? Hershey. Hershey. Yeah. So that is, that is one thing too, that people sometimes don't, especially people that don't have pets don't yeah. necessarily understand. And it's, you know, the amount, the bond that there is, yeah. you know, and that just as much as you can grieve the death of somebody in your life that's a human, you can also grieve the death of a dog. But also the aspect then of this healing. So Hershey was there for you when you're healing and in your journey of uh, grief with your dad's passing. And then now Penny's in your life helping you grieve, Yes, you know, your grieving journey of Hershey's passing. So what a beautiful cycle. Yeah. So let's, let's go back then again to then your, your, your dad and then the funeral and, mm-hmm. and the aspects and the tools you mentioned then holding Shiva doing the 11 months. What is the 11 month period called in Judaism that when you, um, when you, uh, when so you mourn? I, I don't think it has a formal name. So, so Shiva is the first seven, seven days. days. Then you have what's called the Shloshim, which is the first 30 days. Um, so that's, okay. you know, in combination with the Shiva. So the Shiva is the most severe mourning. Um, you know, when you're sitting, you're not really supposed to shower. Um, you're supposed to wear the same clothes when, when you go to the burial, the rabbi will, you know, make a cut in your clothing for you to tear. Um, so you wear that torn shirt every day that you're sitting. Um, you're not supposed to cut your nails. Like it's basically, you know, it's, it's a physical outward manifestation of your grief. Like it's so all consuming that you can't take care of yourself. Um, you know, there's a little leeway of course, like, you know, for the Sabbath, which, you know, Shiva ultimately runs into yes, take a shower. (laughs) Um, you know, for some like not, not showering is not an option. (laughs) Um, obviously if you're like, and Shiva, Shiva with a lot of yes. people, I could imagine that yes. at some point, like, maybe um, Uncle Tom, would yes. you mind maybe stop a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, I'm like, you know, obviously change your undergarments every single day, please. <laughs> um, you know, it's not to make you sick, um, but, you know. It's just in order to respect, giving you that yes. space that by chance you really do not feel like. Yeah. In that moment in your grief to take care of yes of yourself yes. <laughs> outwardly yes it's just and like giving you permission it's the yeah. giving permission period you you can fall apart you're expected you to feel right now yeah 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 it, so it's that yeah it doesn't mean that if you sh- by chance shower it's something that yeah no yeah okay. absolutely it's just that you're given permission to not yes have to do those things just like you're given permission not to cook yeah you're given so that others can bring it to you, yep. take care of you, because some, to some extent, for some people, their grief may be so great, yes, so grand that they can't physically do it. Yes. So there, it's, it's that permission. Yes, exactly. Um, um, so those are the most. That's the most severe part of the morning. The thirty days, you know, is somewhat of an extension. Like you're again not supposed to cut your hair. Um, you know, men are advised like not to shave their beard. Um, but, you know, you're not wearing your Shiva clothes anymore. You know, you're sort of, you've come back to life um, slowly but surely, like you're going back to work and things like that. Um, and then after the 30 days are over, that's when you go into your, you know, the rest of your 11 months of mourning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it doesn't have a formal name as far as I know, but um, 
the person who's mourning is, you know, is called an Avel in Hebrew, which means a mourner. Um, so that 11 months is Avelus, which is, you know, mourning. Um, okay. And during those 11 months, um, you light a memorial candle. Um, and my sister and I both got these like big seven day candles. Um, but they also come in like three day and then like the the little one day ones that you see in the supermarket at Rosh Hashanah and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I we lit a candle every week in memory of my dad um, for that entire 11 months. Um, and then, you know, throughout those 11 months, like we sort of touched on, you don't do anything sort of celebratory. So that's no parties, no weddings. Um, no live theater or concerts, no movies, no big festive, large gatherings, you know, um, basically nothing that's going to take you out of, you know, this state of mourning so that you don't, Mm -hmm. yes, exactly. So that, you know, you feel your feelings, Mm -hmm. um, and really and truly come to terms with the enormity of the loss in front of you. Um, And, you know, some still do go to things like, you know, they'll go to a wedding, but like, you know, you don't dance or you help serve or something like that. Like, you know, there, there are ways, like if you, if it, if you feel really strongly about being involved in someone's celebration without celebrating yourself, you can, Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's sort of the way that the 11 months are structured. And and so for you, you really observed it very strictly. Now, yes. so what, how, so for example, the two friends that you weren't able to go to, you did, you chose, let me just put it that way. You mm-hmm. chose not to go to their wedding because mm-hmm. you were following then your, your mourning period. Then yes. How, for example, did they react? How did others react in that process of you following so strictly uh, your, your grieving process. I'm just again cu- curious because I'm sure that that uh, that component must have also played a part in your your whole dynamic again with uh with your dad too, right? With the estrangement as you're yeah. grieving him and then people like being surprised. So how was that dynamic? Um, this is actually <laughs> I'm already starting to cry. Um, uh, it's okay. <laughs> My friends are the best people in the world. When I called my friends to tell them that I couldn't come to their wedding, hold on, dog is reacting again. She's <laughs> reacting because she's feeling your emotions. Yeah. Um, emotions. So when I told them that I couldn't come to their wedding, they told me not even to worry about it. Um, you know, they said that they would miss having me there, but that obviously this was a situation that, you know, didn't even warrant like an you know how could you kind of reaction um or a like can you come but not dance kind of reaction they were just Mm -hmm. like you know we'll miss you but you you know you're going through something really terrible um and then sorry no 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 do not even um the entire time that i was mourning they just stepped up um, and Rabbi Leader talks about this in the book, like, you know, when people ask, like, what can I do for my friend who, you know, has lost somebody? Stepping up is the best possible thing you can do. And I am absolutely wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, the, you know, they curbed their lives, basically, to, you know, help me sort of not be alone. And that's a debt that I will, I hope that I can repay someday when they go through something horrible, hopefully not a death, but you know, um, it just, it meant the world to me that, you know, they kept gathering small that, you know, we hung out a lot in somebody's kitchen, just four or five of us, you know, doing a puzzle or playing games or, you know, watching tv and having dinner together at home like they did that for 11 months for me That's um, beautiful. so i i would have fallen apart without them well and truly they saved my life so they were they were one of your biggest 
uh, tools than in your um, in your grieving process. Yes, um, absolutely. The aspect of having them one be understanding, two be so accommodating, and uh, even adapting what they would have normally done socially in order to make sure to include you in ways that you could you could be included. Like instead of going, hey, we're gonna go out to a movie tonight, they'd be like, okay, no, let's all hang out and play board games at Farron's house, or let's go to so and so's house and just this all hang out accommodating to what you were able to participate in during those 11 months. Um, so you, would you say they were one of your biggest kind of pillars in this Absolutely. journey? Without yeah. a doubt. Um, Did you, and yeah, I, like how, yeah. And how do you know them? By the way, your friends, are they childhood friends? Um, are they more your college so friends? So this particular group are people that I met in college um, for mm-hmm. the most part. Um, and we've been friends for over 20 years, um, <laughs> uh, which is kind of insane or like close to 20 years. Um, and like a lot of them have actually known each other since high school. I was one of the last people to sort of be inducted into this group for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, they are some of the most wonderful, caring people that I know. Um, and, you know, if it were someone else in the group, we would all do the same. You know, it's just, it's how we are together. Um, we just value each other very much. Um, so, yeah, and luckily now we all live pretty near each other. So, you know, there's a real support system there. Um, mm-hmm. So they really helped me get through. Um, you know, like I said, if they hadn't been there, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah, that's that is so amazing. Now, what other tools did you have to go, let's say, to therapy or things like that in order to kind of address the and you can answer this or not mm-hmm. by the way any question i ask if there's anything that i'm kind of going out, out of bounds of asking mm-hmm. or you don't feel comfortable answering please don't 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 you know please sure. say pass um <laughs> but um what yeah in order to be able to deal with that dynamic again of mm-hmm. the component of i don't know if there were a lot of feelings of guilt or things mm-hmm. like that because of having been estranged from your dad um, did you have to go to any of that or did you deal with it mainly with yourself? Um, so I, I dealt with it mainly myself. Um, and you know, I talked about it with my youngest sister. Um, you know, she's the other thing that really got me through everything. Um, because she lived so close by, you know, we made an effort to see each other as much as we could during those 11 months. And, you know, I had a young nephew at the time. Um, so, you know, we would get together, I would play with my nephew, we would talk about, you know, um, how we were doing, and what we were feeling at that particular moment in time. Um, so that definitely helped, you know, because we had, you know, a mostly shared experience in this Mm -hmm. case. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, I used those 11 months to just sort of sit with everything. Um, and it helped me come to terms with two things. The first thing is that I don't regret what I did <laughs> or my choice, I should say. Um, like I said, it, it, it was the best thing for me. Um, and I still believe that. And, you know, if he was still alive, would that be different? Would I maybe be open to reconciling now? Who can say? I honestly don't know. Um, But, you know, I had time to sort of sit with that and, you know, really, you know, be honest with myself of whether I regretted it or not. And I didn't. Um. And there were relatives who would say to me over the years, you're going to regret it if you don't patch things up. But I I honestly don't. You know, mm-hmm. he was a great dad to me growing up. Um, but there came a point where he was, he just changed from the dad that I knew growing up. And mm-hmm. I couldn't be around that. So, 
you have to protect yourself. Exactly. And you're not the first person I know that has had to do that as an adult mm-hmm. and that that dynamic of your relationship, you know, with the parent that has changed and choosing to do so is actually more of an act of love actually mm-hmm. for yourself too and for your own well-being yeah. dynamic. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the first yeah. thing. And then the second thing that I learned sitting in my grief is that I had a right to it. <laughs> you know, regardless of what my relationship was with my father and regardless of what other people thought based on that, you know, the fact was I had a loss. Um, and it's a loss no matter what. Um, and, you know, I can grieve that loss no matter what people think. So, yeah. Um, so wise. That is so wise. And that wisdom came from you allowing to also just, again, sit with your grief. Because if you had just gotten back to the busyness of life or so forth, you mm-hmm. might still be five years later still wondering the what ifs and the what ifs, but because you yeah. allowed yourself to feel and sit and and analyze and you know put you know tear apart all the feeling you know anything that you had yeah. going on in, within your grief, that you were able to reconcile with these two major parts of these emotions. Yeah, that's that's uh, wonderful. Now, what are there in that, in those 11 months, did you journal? Are you, since you said you're, you were read, you read a lot. Mm-hmm. Did you read books on grief? Did you journal? Did you listen to podcasts? Did you, I don't know how many, I only discovered, you know, discovered yeah. podcasts probably in the last probably five years. But, yeah. um, so what, what, um, what were some other tools you used in that journey? Um, I started practicing yoga actually. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Um, you know, it was something that I kind of dabbled in. I, I did, had a not so great experience with it in high school. It was a our phys ed teacher, you know, with all the best intentions, brought in a, a yoga instructor to like for like a few classes. But she spoke, you know, in a way that high school students wouldn't necessarily process things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was asking us to do things that were kind of hard for a high school student to do, like, you know, empty your mind and focus and things like that you know think about your chakras and things and I was just like I was like yoga's not for me foreign foreign language I know if she just got into the asanas and like you know asanas are poses I shouldn't speak like people listening no yoga Um, but if she had just gotten to that right away and like taken some of the more deep stuff out of it Mm -hmm. we might have been a little more receptive but it was so I but long story short I came out of that experience and I was like I don't know if this is right um and then you know throughout as I was growing older like you know I would dabble in the poses here and there um you know for stretching basically um but it was during those 11 months that I started you know I found yoga with Adrian on YouTube like lots of other people (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, I was like, let's give this a try. Oh, sorry. She's panting right near the microphone right now. <laughs> Everybody, it is not fair and planting no, right it's, now. It's my it little dog. <laughs> she's, she's in my lap. She insists. I, can you, can we stop? No. Okay. Sorry. You might hear her for the rest of the interview. Um, but be, so I, you know, I, I said, let's just give this a try. So I tried a video um, and I really enjoyed it. I got really sweaty, <laughs> which I didn't think you could do with yoga. So I just, I started doing it on a more regular basis and, um, you know, just uh, learning how to marry like, you know, the poses with my breath. Um, and you do a lot of breath work as a theater student. So it's something that mm-hmm. I already had a foundation in. Um, so I think that helped me. That was a gateway too, because like, it wasn't so crazy for me at that point in my life to be like, you know, into your diaphragm. Exactly. <laughs> and like, you know, um, you know, doing alignment and stuff like that. So it was a blessing in disguise, I guess. I, you know, I got into yoga in my thirties cause I, I was ready for it basically. Um, that's, actually you touched upon something interesting because that's the thing. A lot of times too, like one don't 
don't give up on something you might have not liked before. It's kind of like trying yeah. a food one time and then maybe trying it later on. You might, you know, you might like it then. Mm-hmm. And same with experiences because we grow so much and change so much. Yeah. And where we are in our life, we may be ready to receive that. So it's a great, um, a great little learning thing that you're sharing with us yes. here for all of us. Yes. So, so then that was one of the things and yoga. Yep. And I, yeah, I just, I started practicing regularly and that definitely, you know, it was another thing about, you know, I guess just like centering yourself, you know, mm-hmm. in a time where you can feel really unmoored um, and, you know, just sort of taking care by moving mostly gently <laughs> Although, you know, there are, there are yoga poses and practices that are really hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and you need that too, like, you know, just like physically sweating out, like, you know, whatever's bothering you today. Um, that really helps. What a helps. good mirror to life too and what you were experiencing in that moment. Yeah. What it mirrored it beautifully because it was basically in some of these emotions, you're going to have to go through them gently. Yep. And these emotions of grief, like kind of just ease into them. Mm-hmm. And some other ones, you might just have to like face them strong, yep. like just go ahead and just hop on that head and do a headstand type yep. of thing. <laughs> you know, like our crow pose or whatever, yep. you know, one of those things, you know, just... um so that is, um, yeah, it mimicked what you were kind of going through yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, as far as like reading and journaling, so I, I didn't take up journaling. Um, you know, it was something that I, I feel like, so I, I'm not a regular journaler, although of course I, mm. of course I have journaled, um, but I, I feel like my emotions, like putting those emotions down on a page was a little too raw, <laughs> I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I have like a handful of journal entries from that time. Um, but it just, it didn't feel like the right outlet necessarily for me in that place. Um, and as far as reading goes, I... I also don't think I was ready to read books about dealing with my grief. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that a lot of people feel. Um, you know, I think that there's definitely like a solid, like there's a camp of people who like when they experience a loss, they want to read more about it right away. Um, and then there are others who like, they just, they need it to not be so immediate before they start reading more about it. Um, and I was in that latter camp. So I honestly, I did a lot of comfort reading. <laughs> um, you know, I went back to favorite books or like, you know, new books in my favorite genres. And I just sort of used those for like a momentary escape. Mm-hmm. Like fiction, like more like fiction. Yeah. Like of- I, I, when I, when I want to read for pure fun, I like to read a lot of mystery thriller Mm-hmm. Um, I also like historical fiction, um, and some contemporary fiction. Um, so I was doing a lot of that kind of reading at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was what I needed, you know, in between yeah. when you're reading manuscripts for work, which we do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and then you come into, in that, you know, in the, it's been almost five years and yes. then you also then re end up having to pub, you know, market. Yeah a book about grief yes now in this in what does your grief look like now almost Mm -hmm. five years later what does it look like now so there's something else that rabbi leader says in the book that i think is a hundred percent accurate and it's that it comes in waves Mm -hmm. um and that you know sometimes i think you can probably relate to this with your own loss is that sometimes you know you feel normal um you know, it's always with you, but like, it doesn't hurt so much today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're going on with life. Um, and then, you know, at some point suddenly like it, it hits you and you know, that sadness comes back for a minute. Um, or like, you know, on a particular day, um, for me, that's always um, at the Jewish holidays when we say the memorial prayer Yiskor. Um, mm-hmm. We say that three times a year. Um, and every time, like, I know that it's the day 
like I inevitably feel sadder, um, mm. you know, because I'm about to the say, like yeah. that anticipation of it, that that's the day you're going to say that prayer. Yeah. And like, you know, you, you say the name, the Hebrew name of your loved one in that prayer. And there's something about, you know, saying the, the prayer literally translates to, um, remember the soul of my father, then you say your father's name or your mother, whomever has passed, um, who has gone to, you know, the next world, basically. So you're, those words are very powerful words. Um, so the anticipation that I'm going to say that and like, you know, just sort of reaffirm my father is no longer in this world. Those days are always hard. Um, and then of course, you know, the anniversary of the passing is always hard. Um, you know, how do you it, how do you honor those days? Like at either tradi- traditionally mm-hmm. in, your, in your Jewish faith, or also just as a family, mm-hmm. uh, um, like with your sister. How yeah. do you? Is there anything special you do? We always check in with each other on the anniversary day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether that's a grouped text or you know, actually getting on Facetime. You know, whatever we're sort of feeling or whatever we need that day. Um, and then, you know, traditionally you, you light a memorial candle. Um, and then, you know, there are any number of like, they, the idea is that you do some sort of good deed, um, in that person's name that day, um, because it's, you know, special, it honors, you know, their spirit and, you know, who they were in life. Um, so what I like to do every year is I like to make a donation to my father's high school. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, cause what he used to always tell us stories about how much he loved his experience in that high school. Um, <laughs> like every, every Friday night, like, you know, we would be sitting around after dinner and we would be like, tell us this story from school, daddy. Um, And he would, and like, he had his old high school yearbook and, you know, we would go through it and he would like talk to us about his classmates or like what this photo means or something. So, you know, I, when like the first year celebration came around, I was like, well, what, what's meaningful? You know, I don't want to just like give money to some random charity. Um, And I knew that his high school was you know, very important. So every year I donate, um, in his memory to their funds. The aspect of giving to something that's memorable or that's meaningful to the person that has passed, not only for us, but for the person that has passed, that's so beautiful. Cause you hear people giving, you know, donating to, for example, if somebody died of cancer Mm -hmm. and certain different things like that, and then you give to those organizations, which is beautiful, but I had never heard of, for example, giving to uh, the high school that they went to that brought so many fond memories to them and in their life. And um, I, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah. You've shared so many amazing ideas, Farron, of your, of your journey, the tools that you use, the, um, the importance of creating your own um, support group, mm-hmm. <laughs> creating your own, your own people, your own tribe to help you through this. Um that just really understand you and the value of that and what that played in your life. Now, what would you say in this experience of grief has been something that either you've grown from or that you are grateful for having gone through something so hard? And again, I never, when I ask Mm -hmm. this question, I always have to have preface that it's never that we are saying that we're happy that this happened, yes. but that we are grateful for the things that have come because of it. It's again, mm-hmm. even going through the title of Rabbi Leader's, you know, book that we mentioned of the beauty of what remains. Mm-hmm. What is kind of like, again, what do you see now differently in life? Um, so I guess, and I feel like this is, probably going to sound a little cliche but it's definitely something that is true um (laughs) is that you're stronger than you think you are (laughs) Mm -hmm. because like you know this is one of the most horrific things that could happen to you in your whole life you know um regardless of what your relationship is with the person it's still a horrific thing 
And, you know, the fact that you get through it and you're still standing, Mm -hmm. like, what a, what a thing. (laughs) Like, you know, what a testament to ourselves and our humanity, Mm. you know, that we can, we can go through something like this and not just our humanity, our resilience. Yes. You know, and. And that just has shown even just this year. Well, yeah. I say this year, this, you know, now we're kind of going into, it's almost going to be a year since yeah. we've all been experiencing what's going on in the world with mm-hmm. the pandemic, but the resilience of the human spirit, it's just amazing. And the uh, way in which people are so creative in way mm-hmm. too, and you know, all the creativity that's come. Um, the, the, the going through something this strong, that's uh, so hard to realize you're so strong. How has that then influenced other areas of your life of how you carry difficulties and challenges I I mean I don't know if it's had a direct influence on on that <laughs> if I'm honest with you uh-huh. like you know it 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 I I don't know if I necessarily go into situations and I'm like you know I can handle anything cuz I I made it through this <laughs> horrible tragedy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um I mean it's maybe not consciously maybe yeah I was gonna say maybe it's an unconscious thing where it's like you know it's different posture that occurs yeah yeah or just like you know like maybe it's it's just a general like attitude I don't know <laughs> or it's just like you know yeah I don't I have I that's a weirdly the hardest question for me to answer <laughs> I'm just like I don't know. I mean, I no, you know what? It's so true, though. I wouldn't know if I could yeah. answer that question either. I think it's because it's something we all go through hard things. I yes. mean, every human being goes through struggles. Every human being goes through some type of loss in their life all the time, and we're constantly, again, just showing ourselves that we can get up, you know, and keep going, yeah. and um, and that we are like again using that word resilience again. We are resilient and it is a testament to the human spirit is just really how resilient we are yeah. and, um, and strong, like you said. Yeah. So I, you're, you're right. Like maybe, maybe it is not, maybe it's not that you don't have the right answer. It's just, maybe it's just not a good question. Maybe it was not a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought I'd ask. I'm like, oh, I wonder, like, how does this? Yeah. I, by, by the way, because in my conversations, I don't plan anything out of any questions of anything that I'm going to ask. That's just, good, though. The conversation head, flows. <laughs> I'm like, whatever pops in my head, I just yeah. ask. So sometimes the question may not be a good one. Like, yeah. maybe I don't know. <laughs> I I wish I could say, but I mean, yeah. And it's you know, it's not like I mean, it's it's not even like one of those things where it's like you know, I live every day like it's my last because right, I right, don't. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, no, and it, yeah, because it's, it's, it, well, the reality is it every day could be, right? Yes. But we don't necessarily, yeah, take that. Because if we did that too, like, how different would that be? Would exactly. Some it's like, I never go to work. work. <laughs> exactly. Let me just quit my job then yeah. because I don't know. I'm going to go travel life. the world. Who cares that it's a pandemic? This could be my last day. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So there's some things that we do have to kind of restrict ourselves from doing and having that mindset. Yeah. Now, it, how else would you, um, or what else would you want to say to the listeners in terms of your grief journey or yeah. any words of wisdom? I mean, I'll just come back to it again. Like, sit with it as much as you can you know, work through it, cry every single day. It doesn't matter if that's what's helping you get through what just happened to you. Um, do it, you know, um, if you, if you need to like bury it for a minute, fine, but you know, don't bury it away forever. Um, and don't let anyone rush you out of it either. Like, you know, just because someone else thinks it's time for you to move on doesn't mean it is. And, you know, if you feel like I should be over this right now and you're not, it's you're not ready to be over it. The time will come. Um, and just be patient, be kind to yourself. Um, and, you know, there will be better days than this basically Mm. 
perfect, perfect way to end this conversation with those wise words. Thank you so much, Farron. Thank, Thank you. you. For, and for being vulnerable and sharing something that is not easy. And yeah. I, I'm just grateful for you to trusting the the process here of our conversation. Of course. And thank you for tolerating my very clingy dog, who oh, I love. No, She'll be so happy when I go back and sit with her. Oh, <laughs> she... well, thank you, Penny, for allowing mommy to talk. Yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Baron. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.